Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kidsbooks to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I am your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Luno Mars. Hold on, hold on, I gotta do it. What, what are you doing? Oh! <laughs> we're trying, at this point, we're trying our very best to be humble, to stay humble. But in, in the, the industry... industry <laughs> This is known as a sweep. Yeah, clean sweep. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, um, well, technically that was Anderson Pack, but uh, welcome back to the Mixed Music Podcast. If you had no idea what was going back going on in uh, in those few seconds, one, you should join us on Twitch Mondays at two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, where we go live when we record these episodes. Also, every single one of these podcast episodes are available on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube link is youtube.com backslash dkmixes, and the Twitch link is twitch.tv backslash dkmixes. Both are available at links.dkmixes.com. You can find YouTube and Twitch. But we are live, and these videos are available on YouTube every single week, uh, released at the same time, 6 a.m. Eastern time every Tuesday. Anyway, uh, that so if visually we did some jokes. Uh, there were some visual jokes that happened there in that moment. Also, uh, Lou and I, we went to the Grammys this week. Oh, yeah. And that were oh, yeah. this last week, and it was awesome. So this year, uh, I was officially invited to the LA chapter of the voting board and of the Grammy board, and we were able to uh, acquire tickets to go. So we went to, we drove to Las Vegas, and we saw the Grammys in person. We met a bunch of people. It was a lot of fun. We didn't party as hard as we thought we would because we're starting to get old. And Lou and I, we appreciate our sleep more than we did when we were in our early 20s. So, <laughs> I mean, we did go to a magical, magical place by Meow Wolf. Uh, it's housed in the Area 15 uh, space uh, called Omega Mart. That That's was right. fun. That's right. That's right. Well, by the way, we should... Um, we should do an entire episode about the Grammys and yeah. talk about that and what we learned first. We were going to do anyway. So let's, but today's episode is going to be about the art of listening. So what is it about listening? And most importantly, like how can we become better listeners and appreciators of music that will then in turn help us to become better producers and engineers? Uh, we talk about this a lot, Lou and I, and and in any of my lessons, I don't 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 hit me up about doing lessons. I, I'll <laughs> well, you can, but I I only have like two spots available every every month, um, and they're both taken for the next foreseeable future. So, um, it's uh, but anyway, for, I talk about this with my students or any interns. We we talk a lot about listening, and and oftentimes I do have like a Spotify playlist of. DK's reference tracks and 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 not just that but I have like my personal favorite like DK's personal favorites playlist and we like to go through them with the interns and, and uh, students and we just listen to music casually um, I'm going to start us off by saying this Lou before we start the discussion is one 
I think a lot of engineers, uh, specifically engineers, but producers as well, after a certain point, start to brag that they can't listen to music without being critical about it. Um, yeah. I would like to argue and say that that is extremely unhealthy and uh, a bad crutch and is not going to help you become a better mixer or a better engineer. What are your thoughts? And why, if, if you agree, why do you think I would say that? Or if you disagree, why, do you, why would you disagree? I agree and I disagree. Um, I'm, call me purgatory on this one. But uh, basically, I completely agree. One thing, not to talk about the Grammys and stuff like that in that sense, but I don't know if you saw, but I went to a concert recently. And in the two experiences of the concert for Sepultura, which if you guys like metal, I like metal too. I know that's not a very obvious thing, but um, going to the Grammys and going to the Sepultura show, I noticed something that made me want to start going out more and going out to more shows, which was I was able to put myself back in the seat of the audience. Cause I do sound for concerts for a living and it was really nice being able to just kind of sit back and not look at the system, not look at anything, just put myself in the perspective of the person that went to go see the band. I want to go enjoy the band. I want to go enjoy the show, um, which made me appreciate the music on a completely different level. Now, listening critically, yeah, sure. If I listen to something and I'm getting to know a new artist that somebody showed me, I might uh, want to listen to it and be like, wow, that, technically was great creatively that was great that was everything that was great and i may want to listen to it again in an audience perspective you know but sometimes it is hard to separate the two but i think the healthy part of listening to everything critically is that you've kind of found yourself in a position where you now understand what you're listening for you're listening for certain details and that's kind of feeding your influences of how you move forward but the unhealthy part is you lose the audience side the yeah. audience side will yeah. tell you how to creatively move. The The critical side will tell you how to technically move. It's about finding the perfect medium between the two. So now when I go to concerts, I find myself really enjoying the creative side, and I disconnect from the technical. When I'm at work and you show me something, I'm probably being technical when I listen. I'll be honest. So I will say that there's a time and a place to be technical and analytical. Uh, but I have a couple reasons why it's unhealthy. One is... As soon as I feel like the biggest, most painful thing that hurts any sort of creative endeavor is taking it too seriously, taking yourself oh, too yeah. seriously, right? And, and we've seen many artists that think, so for example, uh, Matt and I, we were talking about the philosophy of what is art the other day. So um, uh, there's a, a good comedian. He's like a puppet, but it's really good. Randy <laughs> Feltface from Australia. Feltface. We listened to that. In part of his original first special, he talked about, does art have to be released and appreciated in order for it to be art? Right? Um, mm -hmm. Like, if if Ernest Hemingway or, sorry, if if these big books or these big authors were never released, would they still be works of art? And, and I do think, and I think they're the, my answer to this is if it's not released, you are not an artist. 
you are engaging hopefully in some sort of therapy, personal therapy, but it is not art. It is not, it is not an artist. That doesn't mean it has to be appreciated, but I think it has to be released. But when you're overly analytical and overly critical of other people, you'll recognize that you'll be extra critical and analytical with your own music and your own creation. It's really hard to let yourself just create and keep the creative arts uh, cathartic when you are being overcritical and overanalytic. So one, emotionally, philosophically, I think it's worse for the soul if you're critical and overanalytical with other people. So that's my first argument. But now we're going to talk about the actual like practical thing. I think the reason why is because music is all about emotions. And when you're overanalytical and say the kick drum, the snare, the vocal, the presence, da 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 if we listen to Billie Eilish and then we listen to uh, Rihanna and then we listen to Beyonce and then we listen to, these are all female singers within Grammy League pop world to a certain degree. Um, none of these mixes sound anywhere near each other when you get down to the specifics, right? And now it's just total personal preference. But the one thing that you can't deny that will never change that is less subjective is how well does the emotion translate, right? And that's when you become overanalytic, when you become uh, very critical, then you no longer you, you no longer rely on the most important part of production and engineering, which is allowing the emotion to resonate. Uh, yeah, I w- sorry, I'm just like <laughs> ranting, but like, what do you no, think? No, 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 you're that? good. See, honestly speaking, for me, I think the nice thing about, I guess, keeping it emotional. Is that you? There's limitless range as to what you can do in the mix. Limitless range what you can do in the production, and that's kind of what you don't want to lose. You don't want to start limiting yourself because of the technical aspect. We can always try to compare ourselves, uh, just like you said. Like one of my favorite artists is Anthony Hamilton for the for the male side. For the female side, lately it's been a lot of like Ari Lennox, Jasmine Sullivan kind of vibes. But there's a lot of people that would actually compare those two females. But when you listen to their mix, their production, their vocal styles, they're completely different. And they both approach their recording sessions in a completely different nature. Nothing about it is the same. So listening to them technically doesn't serve you any justice if you're trying to mix a record to sound like the other one. It, it literally wouldn't fit the other. So mixing the way that somebody would mix for Ari Lennox for Jasmine Sullivan would actually hurt Jasmine. And let me, let me you have to you- stay in her creative pocket. And let me ask you this, like, let's say, all right, I know that, like, for example, you worked with Ari Lennox, right? Sure. So let's say uh, yeah. I come to you, I'm, a, I'm an artist or I'm a producer or whatever, uh-huh. I'm A&R, and I want to have you record my artist because you record Ari Lennox and I want my artist to sound like Ari Lennox. Honestly speaking, I mean, you'll say yeah. yes because you want the business, right? But. Yeah. When I say I'm coming to you because I want you to sound like Ari Lennox, is it possible for you to make me sound exactly like Ari Lennox or my client or me no, or whatever? No, never. It doesn't matter who the artist is. You'll never sound like them because, one, you don't have their vocal cords. You don't have their demeanor. You don't have their creativity or flow. Now, you can get close. You can try to match their performance, their energy, and all that kind of info, right? But at the end of the day, I can get you as close as I can, but you'll never be exactly like them. You know, and at that point, it's better for me to just approach you the same way I approached maybe working with them, which is focusing on their needs, focusing on their sound and doing what's right behind their music. But that's because I got to know that specific artist. When I was working with Ari, uh, the first recording session, you know, I got a good clean vocal and that's the best I could do because I didn't really know her 
like that. But the more I got to know her, the more I got to know her sound, the more I got to know Elite, the closer I was on the rough bounces, like the end of day bounces to like a rough demo that they were pitching to people than I was at the starting point. You know, if we, if uh, like a lot of people want to sound like, uh, like they say, oh, I want you to mix it like a Dr. Dre record. Well, if it doesn't sound like a Dr. Dre record, then no matter what I do in the mix, it's not going to sound like a Dr. Dre record. Yeah. And that's where focusing on the technical to fix the creative is never, never really the bet. Like, if you just listen to things creatively, you can find the perfect mix for it, technically, sure. But creatively speaking, like, don't try to box yourself into somebody else's artistry. Focus on your own. Absolutely. Honestly, so- that's what I really like about, like, the Outdonesia stuff right now. Like, um, like Caden, who we've been working with a lot. Caden, yeah, he's pop R&B, but Caden is Caden. Absolutely. Like we could try to throw him on a, you know, we, we both worked with Trey songs. We could both put Trey's settings on Caden, but it wouldn't work the same. So even if we tried to make him sound like Trey songs and mix him like Trey songs, Caden will not sound like Trey songs at the end of the day, period. But we can get him some semblance of what Trey songs has going on in his mix, but we have to do it right by Caden. And uh, I think this is actually really good because we're talking about why co- comparisons don't work. Um, yeah, l- let's go deeper into this. Like, uh, people think and people talk about, oh, labels have this formula with pop music and how things blow up. All right. Mm-hmm. If let's let's just think through this logically. Most people, like we're talking significantly less than one percent of all artists that ever get signed, uh, release any music and let alone get uh, any sort of recognition ever. Getting signed is not even not even signed a year. Yeah, getting signed, which is really difficult, is not even close to the first step. Like you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's so much more than that. Like Doja Cat has been signed for years, and she finally is starting to get recognition. And she's she's one of the the zero point one percent of anybody that's signed by the record label. If there wasn't she dropped before the recent successes. I think her label dropped her before like some of the recent successes. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know the full story and I'm sure that there's many others that have a better idea of what's going on specifically with her. Uh, but the point is what labels are doing right now, especially for like the last decade and why it's okay. So labels again have enough money where this is worth doing it. So when labels don't have money, they tend to do this thing where um, they raise artists. So they just like Motown did, they find young artists and they build them up from scratch. So it's more surefire it's less risk, but it, it takes a lot more money, but it's more surefire. Now, labels have uh, um, a lot more money and a lot more control of the industry again, uh, where they just, it's literally, they're just scaling how much they're gambling. Like, everybody is gambling. Like, we're just trying to write the best songs ever, right? And and maybe one of them will pop off. We don't know what's going to pop off. That's the same thing with labels. If that wasn't the case, they wouldn't just be, like, they're signing so many artists. They're writing, each artist is like, it's not weird for an artist to write 100 plus songs before they release a 10 song album. And they scratch oh 90 of them. You know, like, that's not weird at all. Uh it's because these labels, they're funding so much because they're literally, they're just scaling how much they're gambling. That's all it is. Yeah. And so I if mean, they had a the formula. recent post from Ari. Exactly. If they had a formula, if they had, okay, this is how it's worked in the past, this number of hooks, this kind of background, this kind of chorus hooks kind of thing, or this sort of production style, if there was a formula, they wouldn't have to waste that much money. Because at that point, yep. it is a freaking waste of money. 
If there was yep. a surefire way, you'd have Bruno Mars and you'd have an Ed Sheeran and that's it. Like there's no point in, yep. in really saying it. But there isn't. There really isn't a formula. And people, and the problem with comparing and overanalyzing, and the reason why I don't like theory in the sense of like, where we do like composition analysis, right? Uh, it makes sense of like classical music because European music, old European music did have rules and it's fun to talk about how they, it was more like a mental mathematical game of writing music than it was about just like, is it a good song or not, right? Um, but in it's so funny to me where we like analyze Music, okay, pop songs. This was a pop song because they did this sort of turn around into the chorus and, and the intro is less than 30 seconds long. And no, this is all total bullshit, uh, absolute bullshit. There is no way to analyze why a song became a hit. Absolutely not. I mean, it's fair to say that a good mix does get more plays. Does, it statistically does help a song get a few more plays. I don't know to what percentage or how much, but it does help. But it does. Right, a good recording, good production, and obviously good songwriting. Right, does, and sometimes there's many songs where we love them to death, and their recording and production and music is horrible. Like my favorites are the Lupe mixtape, Lupe Fiasco mixtapes before he released Food and Liquor and The Cool. Right, I love those records. Those were my favorite. They sound like total butt. I love them. There's something magical <laughs> about. It. But anyway, the point is, the point is, when we overcompare and try to analyze, we lose. We forget the point of why we create and we get, the, yeah. yeah. And um, we start to get like insecure. That's my biggest thing is like, I, if I could teach anything to myself and to viewers, to everybody around the world and something that I feel like I'm getting better at as I'm getting older is low key, just enjoy it. Stop giving a shit is kind of. Yeah. To be honest, like, uh, I think I've told you about this band in the past. Like one of my favorite songs is crawling in the dark by uh Hoobastank growing up. Like, I, I thought it was a great song and everything. And then uh, I decided later in life, I want to say this was like a few years ago, to listen to it again. And this is when I knew I kind of hit a brick wall. And this is where the issue landed. Um, I couldn't listen to it because I was listening to it technically. I realized how bad the mix was. You know what's sad? I probably listened to that song a thousand times before I ever gave a shit. Um. I started realizing that I could not appreciate music as music once I started getting way too technical, way too in my own head of like, hey, like you got to have this like certain preamp because it'll make guitars sound better. You know, it's got this range and saturation that's like, bro, just listen to it. Is it a good take? Like at the end of the day, like what caught me on the song was like how it felt. And I talk about why I like uh, Anthony Hamilton and Ari and Jasmine so much recently. Um, and I talk about Anthony Hamilton the most cause I've liked him since sixth grade. I could give a shit about his mixes to this day. I still think his mixes translate perfect, but it's because every time I hear the dude get emotional in it, I can almost hear him want to cry. I can hear like the pain in his chest. I can hear it. I could feel it. And at the end of the day, that's all I ever cared about growing up listening to music. The reason I got into music, the reason I wanted to play guitar, the reason I wanted to do anything remotely to what I do now is because I had an emotional connection to it, not because of any damn mic or preamp or technically perfect 1K separation between like the guitars and vocals. Like none of that really mattered. And I'm glad to have, you know, found that again in the recent years. You know, I'm glad to be able to appreciate it more on the audience side, which I think is 
the big point of this. Like when we're listening to records, are we listening to the record or are we listening to our own opinion of somebody else's work? Mm. We were we were talking about again, we were talking about Matt and I we were talking about yes yesterday. Um we have a client where a shared client that uh will not be named. Love his music. He's a really great artist. He's a really great client. He's a really great uh just a person all around. And every time we talk um and have sessions, both with Matt for production or me with mixing. Uh, it ends up becoming like therapy sessions, which I love. Like that's one of my favorite things about being a mixer is that um, I'm I am like a therapist in the music industry in a sense, right? People come to me feeling insecure, they leave feeling very happy and secure. Like uh, that's 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 what why I do what I do. It's it's not really to make better tones, it's to make people feel better about themselves and and be able to create art that helps the world. But uh, in this case, we were talking about the idea of like. It's not to become overcritical is, is at that point and to be unhappy and try to seek for the best and to become better, better, better. I think those things should come naturally over time and that it's not sustainable if you just don't enjoy the music, if you don't enjoy the creative process. When you're trying to overanalyze and trying to figure out how to make the best, the best, the best, the best of everything that you do, it no longer becomes enjoyable. And when it stops becoming enjoyable is when you stop making art. Um, and it's gotten to the point where Matt and I, we both have personal experiences where we, we used to be artists. We used to write music to release and we were overcritical and now I don't ever release music and Matt doesn't either. And you've heard both me, my music and, and Matt's music. And I would, both of you guys have great music. Exactly. And it's so funny. We both had great music, but somehow we got insecure. And as, as a stoic would say, all of the problems that we had were totally just in our own minds. And then we stopped. And, and honestly, quite speaking, this is speaking about myself. I think that that is one of the most pathetic things that I've ever done. And, and to be honest, like, I don't, I don't think it haunts me, but I think that maybe it should, <laughs> you know, uh, like I, I do think that that's quite weak and pathetic where nobody ever told me that my music was bad. In fact, everybody told me the opposite. Yet I didn't, I didn't believe anybody. You know how lame that is? Like, and it was just because I got overcritical with myself. Um, I do think that like, if I had just learned or if I can just learn to enjoy it. Like that's, this is why I love mixing so much is that it's never been anything I've been overcritical with. So many people and marketing, just marketing of products and, and other engineers, they want you to think that this is this magic special sauce that everybody has that you can't do it without the right tools and without the right training and whatnot. And, and for some reason I've been navig I've been able to navigate through all of that BS and still come out feeling confident with my mixes, even though I haven't had any like proper classical training for mixes or I don't have all the right tools or have never been an assistant for some, you know what I'm saying? Like all these other excuses that are valid. It's never really bothered me. Like every time I finish a mix, I still think, gosh, dang it. I'm the man. I'm so good at what I do. And I don't know if that, <laughs> if there's anything healthier than that, you know, whether or not yeah. it's actually good or not. It's the point is like, I can come out thinking I enjoyed this. It's very cathartic. And that's why I you keep know, mixing. It's kind of funny because, like, I have those moments where I'll call Anna and she'll be like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, nothing. You know, I just wanted to call you, give you a quick reminder that I'm the fucking man. <laughs> and she's like, what? And she'll, like, laugh and stuff just like that, you know. But it's because, like, I think there was a 
and I I know a lot of people go through this. Um, so this should resonate with a lot of people, which is at first it starts off emotionally engaging, like you're excited to do this. Then you hit that stage where it's like, wow, I don't know. Like now that I've learned so much about this, like I'm realizing I'm not good enough or I'm just doubting myself so much. And then there's like, I want to say like this burnout period where like you either leave it behind or you get back to it. And when I got back to things, when I, when I started to like stop being so critical and I tried really forcing myself back to just enjoying it, like just trying not to try so hard, I started realizing how much I really learned and how much better I actually became over time. You know, it was like, uh, I know we're both going through the Atomic Habits book right now. And one thing that rings true in that book is like, sometimes it's, you know, you don't have to worry about being the best. Just make sure that you're making these little habit changes. Like it'll add up over time. You don't have to worry about these overnights, but it was when I finally came back to it with the mentality of don't try so hard this time that I realized how much better my mixes really were the whole time. And I was just overthinking it. And now I listen to before and afters of like, this is what they sent me. This is what I sent back. And we talked about this today where I sent somebody a rough that I thought was just a rough and they loved it. They thought it was the final version. I'm like, wait, no. And I'm like, no, I'm overthinking it again. I'm over here trying to go for gold when I already went above and beyond for them. Like, and now I'm like telling myself like, you know what? Just don't touch the mix so much now. Just do the light polish and send it off. They're already happy. Like don't start shooting yourself in the foot again. Absolutely. So we talked about like more of the philosophy behind the art of listening right now. I'd love to get into more like practical, technical things about listening, how to listen to speakers, for example. I think we briefly talked about it in the past. I think we should talk about it again. Um, I want to preface this next section with uh, this is totally different for everybody. And the most important mm-hmm. part about this is figuring out what works for you. But I'm going to tell you what works for me. Um, let's start with referencing. Uh, you know what doesn't work for me and works for a lot of other people that doesn't work for me is I cannot reference A, B stuff in the middle of a mix. For example, if I'm, because this happens all the time, the artist sends me a reference track and they want, they send me something that sounds like Kendrick Lamar, but the reference track is, is Tory Lanez. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is like sounding, <laughs> it's like, it's just so not even close to what it, I think it should be or what it's wanting to be. That is just like, but at that point, you have to read what the client is trying to get out of. Maybe they like the reverb and the ambience out of Tory Lanez and not how bright his vocals are. Or maybe they just like how bright the vocals are and nothing else about it. Like, you got to figure it out what it is. Uh, anyway, so like uh, listening to clients is, is the art of listening to clients, I think, is very, very important. And it will make you more money than any other art of listening, anything else. Uh, but <laughs> um, but uh, let's see. So for me, my referencing and my homework, the work that I put in for references referencing is before I mix. So I do a lot of listening casually on my speakers. Um, a lot of reference, just listening for reference, just listen casually, not getting too analytical, just listening to me emotionally. The reason we talked about this many times before, like the reason why car, uh, car tests exist is because most people listen to music casually in their car more often than they do in their listening position. Now, what if we turn that around? What if you listen to music, more music in your listening position in front of your speakers or in your headphones from the mix position? Then you would have don't have a reason to go back to the car. You don't need an outside perspective because 
you hear hearing, you're familiar with what music sounds like. Maybe you just need a few minutes off and then come back to it. Take 10 minutes break, refresh your ears, kind of like stabilize, return back to normal. I mean, because we do lose sight of which way is up when we're mixing, right? And come back to it, yeah. take, a, take a break, come back to it, and then all of a sudden we recognize what's off because we've been listening to music. We know how much low end is too much low end or how little is too little, how loud the vocals should be uh, because we've been referencing and listening to music before we get into a mix, right? So that works for me. How do you reference music uh, and listen to music for referencing. So, we we do share uh, one common practice, which is listening to music casually before a mix. Um, a lot of times what I'll do is if it's a new client that I've never worked with before, I'll actually add their music to a playlist, and then I'll have Spotify randomly generate like a playlist. Like I have both Tidal and Spotify. If you're going to listen to music, listen to it on Tidal. But Spotify just has certain features that still just, kind of work better than the title unfortunately one of those is like those like music playlisting things where like uh music radio like track radio it, it does a pretty good job at putting like similar sounds but i try to listen to it because it also shows me artists i've never heard before and i may get some ideas that are similarly in their range because spotify doesn't just consider the song that you put it also considers the artist type so it'll kind of bring me to listen to new things, things, not things that I'm not used to. And which is kind of a good thing for me. It's just cause I like listening to the same thing over and over again. I could, like I said, I've been listening to Anthony Hamilton and he's been my favorite artist since I was in sixth grade. I'm, I'm, I'm habitually listening to the same thing over and over again. So doing that, listening to new music that I've never heard before, before starting a mix is just kind of like a nice little refresher of what's going on. What's new. Jimmy Douglas brings it up all the time. He's like, look, the reason you don't want to stop recording, which if you want to stop recording, that's your choice. You do whatever you want to do. But the reason he doesn't like to stop recording is because he gets to meet all the new engineers, all the new artists, all the new producers that are using all the new plugins, all the new tools, all the new ideas, the new methods of production, whatever. And it keeps them refreshed. And keeps his ears listening for what's changing, what's new, and what's a cool thing that he can implement. Um, that's actually kind of helped me out a lot um, when it comes to referencing. Just listen to music I haven't heard before. Um, and sometimes I find a cool new artist that I appreciate. Outside of that, I know you mentioned, um, I guess you could say, uh, not A-being. Uh, not necessarily that you shouldn't do it, but that you've had a harder time with it. I actually A-B in the middle of a session all the time. I think like, that's pretty normal. I do do it yeah, all the like, time, but specifically to the demo, not to other songs. No, I'll do other songs. Yeah, I, I don't do other uh, songs. The reason I only do being demos. is that I listened for, once again, it was learning to disconnect from technical. I started like not caring about how loud their snare was. I was just caring about like what kind of pocket does it fill? Like what, what is the vibe of the drums? Like I started referencing when I AB the vibe. And just seeing if my vibe feels like it matches the energy. Does it emotionally connect as well? And that's what I'm listening for when I'm A being. That can mean anything. That could mean like, oh, this is a snare forward song. Okay, maybe I'll make the snare a little more forward. Oh, maybe I'll add a little more sizzle to that snare crack just to have a little more energy behind it. But I'm not doing it because like, oh, that snare is brighter. It's because like, I like the energy that the drums are providing. Like one song I'll reference is Woman. Uh, from Doja Cat, because um, our mutual friend, you know, Jesse, I actually have the speakers that, you know, he, he mixed them on, funny enough. Um, and by the way, I want to be clear, just, you have the exact speakers and the serial number, like the exact serial the exact, number. 
Yeah. Which is kind of funny because like me and you discovered that our woofers are different, even though they're the same speaker, which is, I don't know why, but I'm sure that the magicians yeah, mine's like and the in those trees. Yeah. Like they're the wizards at that factory are, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, but either we're way, gonna talk about you know, the art of listening of to speakers too in a minute. But I can yeah, but it's kind of funny because like that's a reference point that I can say. Well, you know what? This was a great record. I've heard it in my car. I've heard it in my AirPods. I've heard it everywhere. But uniquely was done on these speakers. So I'm kind of listening into the speaker when I listen to that one, and I'm kind of like listening. I'm like, oh, this is how the transient feels on this one, on these speakers. Because I've heard the transient in my AirPods, I've heard it in my car, I've heard it everywhere. Um, and it's funny when I A B in the middle of a mix, I'm not listening for how much top end or anything. I'm just trying to make sure, like, does it feel like I sucked out too much of the punch? Does the does it? Like, have I lost perspective of how much punch or transient is left in the track? Like, did I over limit this? Did I over compress this? Like, sometimes when I'm listening to a reference track, I'm listening to how much compression is audible on the lead vocal or on the ad lib. And that's what I'm listening for. I'm not listening for how loud the ad lib is. Just like, how much can you tell? of the processing versus mine versus theirs. Does it sound like mine is over-processed versus theirs? Absolutely. You know, and Woman's a, a good example because, like, the transient, like, the drums on it punch so well. So this is something that Bob Horn does and I do as well is, real quick, yeah. uh, we'll take a, cup, a moment to shout out our sponsor because this is part of it. Um, Bob Horn and I, we both use tonal balance control from Isotope. Oh, yeah. Which is that, um, I, do you use that? Yeah, all the time, every mix. Yeah, there you go. The way he does it, he's actually, you can like upload a reference song and then it'll show you the frequency curves for that specific song. Um, That's what I do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I don't do that, go that far. But Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to... uh, So anyway, we're talking about our sponsors here. Big shout out to Isotope for sponsoring us and the podcast. Uh, They're sponsoring us all the time. We've been with them for over a year now, and we're excited to do another th- a quarter with them at least, um, and hopefully more beyond that. But uh, isotope.com backslash MM podcast. Is that right? Yeah, isotope.com backslash MM podcast will get you 10% off of any of their products. Um, or you can get, instead of a seven day trial period, you can get a full 30 days if you do that. So there it is. It, if you're on Twitch right now, it's isotope.com backslash MM podcast. So that's very interesting. So we use their tonal balance control, which does uh, is very useful uh, for figuring out general tone balance from back from um, from other from other songs and reference tracks, and we try to figure that out. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But in general, it's a really great reference and a great tool. Let's go into a little bit about um, the the art of listening in the recording phase. Uh, I think the only thing sure. that we really need to say is that it's very important. Um, I had someone that texted me, DM me on Isotope, or on Instagram, which I recommend if, if you have any questions, I may not be able to get back to it immediately, but I always try to get back to everybody that has valid questions. Um, if it's stupid questions that you can Google, I, pr- I may not be able to answer that. <laughs> but uh, um, but if, if you have questions, feel free to ask. I can at least try my best. Um, but we, I had someone uh, DM me on Instagram that said DM me on Instagram that uh oh i'm gonna have to sorry i'm i'm live streaming on instagram and i think my computer just overheated it's not working very well anymore but um 
someone DM'd me on Instagram and they said, DK, can you take a look at my plugin preset, my signal chain for my recording template? And I got confused. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, can you help me tweak the plugin, the SSL channel strip, so it's, it's going to get me better recordings? And I was very confused. I was like, wait, what do you mean? You want me to help you tweak your... That, that doesn't make sense. Like, even if you're... Every, even if you're using the same exact artist in the same exact location, in the same exact studio, in the same exact microphone, the same exact preamp, compressor, whatever, everything exactly the same, you're still going to have to adjust it from song to song. So I think... And this is just as simple as vocal production. So we're going to make this even deeper because when you start to record drums, when you start to record guitars, when you start to record bass amps and guitar amps and, and various different things, now the art of listening becomes so much more important. For example... Um, when you're recording a guitar amp, how far away from the microphone you pull away from the amp, and I'm sure that you're very familiar with this too, and how far away from the center of the cone you get uh, versus the edge totally changes the tone of the recording, of the sound. Or like blending microphones, right? So it's like now we're talking about, we're, we don't necessarily have any specific advice. We're, this episode is not about how you should mic up your guitar amps or anything like that, but rather take the time to use your ears and listen. For vocal production, it's not about tweaking your presets. If anybody that is a fan of the Mixing Music podcast and you're using presets and you don't adjust them from singer to singer or, or rapper to rapper, I'm telling you right now, I'm calling you out, don't do that bullshit anymore. It's not helping you. You're not yeah. becoming a better engineer. And it's not helping your artists. So I'm going to call you out on your bullshit. Don't do that. <laughs> and don't be buying presets because the Chris Brown preset, don't be doing that bullshit. Uh, <laughs> not making like, you a to better. To be honest, like just to touch on that, because yes, absolutely, absolutely, because we just did the masterclass at Tizio, Chris Brown's own engineer, and he even says, "Dude, you'd be surprised how little is actually on the template." Like I'm supposed to make the video tutorial of, of how to make his template. I will be giving away his template for free and all that, just like I give my own. But it's literally just an EQ with a high pass filter at like 80, and that's it. That's all he uses. That's Chris Brown's template. You won't. He says it himself in the masterclass. You won't sound like Chris Brown unless you are Chris Brown. Period. Cool. Yeah. So, like, really though, um, it's the art of listening. Use your ears. Use your ears. Don't boost everything because you boost every like because that's what everybody else has done. Like, you have to be able to like turn things on and off and be able to recognize yes, this sounds better or it sounds worse. It doesn't matter. Like. Use your ears at all times. You got to be listening. At no point should you ever be passive about your listening. Okay, so that's that's important. Now we're going to talk about the art of listening to speakers. Okay, now my good friend uh, Gerhard, we've talked a lot about this, and we've talked about about this as well. Yep. Um, thanks to technology and the beauty, and and you could do this with this is mostly a live thing, but with speakers, especially with like PA systems and and monitors, you can actually do an EQ like a, an outboard EQ, graphic EQ, before it actually sends the signal to um, the PA, right? So you can like kind of dip out yep. the frequency that's giving feedback or whatever. Uh, that's less common in the studio, but let me talk about this. So basically, in general, you can always change the tonal characteristics of your speakers. You can add more bass, you can cut more bass, add more mid-range, add more whatever, right? But you cannot change the transients and the distortion. The distortion mm -hmm. equaling the transient, the punchiness of the speaker. Lou, uh, can we both have? This is a, I don't know if anybody's listening. 
Lou, I, I went on a spiritual, well, that anybody's been listening for a while, but I went on a spiritual, <laughs> spiritual monitor journey and I've had ATCs <laughs> and I had PMCs and I tried out a bunch of other speakers and I've had them in the studio, uh, various different companies and, and tried them in different studios and, and many different things. I was going to go back to ATCs. I thought that's what was the best thing for me. Uh, Jesse, our friend who mixes for Doja Cat recommended we try these five inch woofers these five inch cones tiny little speakers the smallest ones they're way too expensive for tiny speakers uh and tried them out as like an homage like as a thank you to him like i appreciate it i guess i'll just try it out uh, as a side quest i ended up keeping mm-hmm. them i loved them so much uh i showed lou lou liked him so much that he ended up buying him and he actually bought jesse specifically jesse's old pair because jesse upgraded yeah. to the higher <laughs> tier of the same brand but the uh higher tier version so which is hilarious. So, uh, Lou, when we were talking about the speakers, you want to talk about punch and mm-hmm. and frequencies and your experience from your personal journey. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because uh, I have the Strauss, and I also now have a secondary pair. I have the PMC226s. And to be honest, it's kind of funny. Like at first, when you hear a new speaker, you can appreciate all the differences of a different speaker and this and that. And then you start wondering, well, like, how does this apply to my workflow and the things that I like to hear and the way I like to work? But when it comes to like listening to different monitors, because I've had um, I've had quite a few common brands. I've had like Genelec, Adams. I've had Focal. I've had Quested. I currently have Quested again. Um, I, I currently have the Strauss, the PMCs. I've had uh, DK's uh, ATCs. We had the same pair. I actually bought DK's pair as well. Look at that. I'm buying everybody's monitors. Some, if you're selling monitors, maybe hit me up. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but um, like throughout uh, it wasn't necessarily as spiritual as DK's journey was. Like, definitely wasn't as spiritual. But um, when it came time for me to get my own room, I quickly realized after working on, you know, the ATCs, what really didn't work for me on other monitors. And it was mainly like the sonic balance that I was kind of worried about. And then after talking to DK and Gearhard and um, and a little bit to Jesse, because I, I poked Jesse's brain a little bit in between things. Um, I really started focusing on how the monitor sounded when it came to like certain elements. And part of that was the transient and then listening to where that transient existed on different series of monitors. Like some monitors were really good at transients in the low mids. Some of them were good at the upper mids, but very rarely were they good almost all around. And the Strauss really gave me kind of that sound that was kind of all around well-balanced um the pmcs for instance are a little bit brighter and they have a little more transient going up in like 1k and above but when it came to the transients like 300 and below they just really weren't there as much or as detailed that there seemed to be some kind of mush going on which could be described as the distortion right um how accurate that transient is but honestly speaking i'm really happy i went with the strauss personally because they may not be the world's greatest sounding monitors. Like, okay, we're not going after hi-fi at the end of the day. We can always change the tonal character of it frequency-wise with the EQs, just like DK mentioned. But I don't know. There's something about the way a kick, a snare, uh, uh, the slap of a bass, like uh, congas coming through these monitors. They sound 
accurate. They sound like I'm literally listening to the instruments sometimes, and you can hear the amount of compression you're putting in. Even doing one to two decibels of compression lightly on something that's like slow attack on a fast transient, you know, source, you could even hear that amount. Like doing compression on the master bus is just such a careful surgical thing nowadays because you can hear every little bit of detail. So listening to your monitor and how much you can actually hear of what you're doing is kind of a big factor for me now, more than it was about like, you know, the ATCs have this big wall of sound. I still want to go back to that sound, but I wouldn't want to lose the Strauss's ability to actually show me what's going on in the compression and everything that it's been showing me lately. It's different, but I've appreciated the sound of the monitors on a whole different level. Honestly speaking, I think my dream combination of speakers is ATC and the Strauss. I think that's. I wonder what those MF series, the midfields, is like. I wonder how they sound. Like, I I really would love to go to Jesse's house and check them out, but um, I I I have a feeling that the midfields are closer to the ATC sound. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but we'll uh, we'll kind of end it here for the episode. So make sure that you're basically the point is make sure that you're taking the time to listen. Don't be overcritical. Don't be overanalytical. Just have fun with it. Uh, but do everything intentionally, both in the mixing, recording, um, songwriting, everything. Just just make sure things are intentional, but don't overthink it. It's impossible to analyze a pop song and, and what makes it a pop song. Um, break rules. Who Don't even worry about rules. Just have fun with it. I think that's kind of the, the gist of this episode. Um, on that note, uh, we invite everybody that's listening right now, um, feel free to check out our sponsors and our different stuff on mixingmusicpodcast.com. We have a bunch of free stuff that we give away. Uh, we do have mixed feedback opportunities. We also do that on stream. I've stream. I try to stream a few times a week, but although I've been lazy the last couple weeks, um, and things are always going on events at the studio, various different things, sign up to our email list, blah, 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 isotope.com backslash MM podcast, everything, all the jazz on that note. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kids books to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show.